to Big Red Couch, the podcast about making role-playing games. A group of GMs and players draw ideas from the mystery box and bring their game pitches to you. Good evening, listener, and welcome to the Big Red Couch, episode 148. Here in England, where we have enjoyed lockdown so much that we've decided to do it again, I am Craig, and... On the other side of the world is Ben in sunny New Zealand where, well, we're sort of doing it again, but but maybe a little less than the first time, but it worked pretty well, so we're not too sure. Yeah, it's a thing. You sort of turned it down a notch. You've A, a little bit, a little bit. Okay. It's, it's a bit. It's a bit iffy. But there's, we keep running into circumstances where the odd person refuses to actually develop the illness for like over the the normal two weeks and, and escapes or quarantine apparently it's like yeah it's uh so people with the slacker version of the virus basically apparently apparently it's a it's a tricksy bugger that is for sure so yes we've had we've had all sorts of um all sorts of shenanigans and of course since it's we're having an election here it's been even more fascinating hmm that would add an extra an extra level of well, this is going to be complicated to the whole thing. Yes, yes. The um, the opposition parties, the government, not and by no means has the, go- the government handled this perfectly. But their claims that a we should uh, was it we should uh, they should have gone harder and be more draconian. But also, we need to restart the the economy and let more let more people into the country while being more draconian. Well, being more shitty for sure. Ah. <laughs> uh... Mm. I mean, on yeah. that topic, and I can't actually blame them for it, but it was just kind of a, well, that's an email I didn't expect to receive. For those of us who are still outside of New Zealand, the path to get into the country has become a little bit more complicated, because it's already, it's been the thing for a while that if you're coming into the country and you're not staying for very long, you have to pay for your own quarantine upkeep, which seems reasonable. Uh, now you also need to book in. Oh, this is coming into New Zealand. Indeed. I was not aware of that. Is that like it really affects you? Um, no, not specifically. There was a lot of controversy about them charging people for quarantine upkeep when it was initially raised. But yes, I could see how there'd be questions, especially when we've imported entire film crews and so forth for some things, and quarantining those. Uh, folks should you definitely go on the production companies but yeah there's also a there's a range of uh people in a range of situations but the idea that i think the booking thing is just telling that it's like um we're expecting more people and we're running out of places to put them <laughs> yeah yeah we are running out of hotels that are feasible and after a few escapes it's not like we trust any of you fuckers so yeah, there's there's going to be a, like a future in quarantels, I think, which uh, you know. I love the name. Horrifying, fortified. Quarantels. The name's like quarantels. They'll be like they give them like the the, the Stalag Ritz or something. <laughs> they, they might be very well appointed inside, but it's all um, hipper um, air filtration and barbed wire. <laughs> I, I'm just imagining hotels built in into those. I'm assuming these exist in, in other places in the world. I've never actually looked, but the, you know, the, the big sort of bonded storage warehouses that you sort of get around 
ports and airports and the like for goods that need to pass some level of inspection but you don't want cluttering up the place just sort of hotels built into those so it's a very nice hotel provided you're not that keen on fresh air yeah or looking outside indeed no, I, I i suspect the those sort of warehouses are one of those the capitalist international trade born memes which which suspect the like containerization which will mean they are they are absolutely identical everywhere in the world. At least there's some sort of like historical precedent, which leads me immediately to the idea of just containerizing people and moving them around inside their little boxes, just like the start of Portal Two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, there are certain varieties of first class or first and a bit class on some airlines where you kind of get that, like you get your your life at flat chair and everything. But there's a little pod that it kind of you can close the doors. So, actually, is this is this what is going to regenerate ocean and maybe even zeppelin travel? Because you have to be in quarantine for two weeks anyway. Why not use that as the travel time in your own hermetically sealed pod? And they like they 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 they, they take off the shrink wrap at the other end and. Um, okay, so this is ocean travel. But containerized, so yes. it's not a cruise ship. It's just a hotel room in a container, hopefully pointing out to sea. I, that sounds weirdly dystopic, and I'm kind of into it. <laughs> the idea that you know, all right, I've got to be in another place. There's going to be a two week lag. I get into my self contained unit with a with 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 a big flat screen bolt on one thing which is going to actually be the closest thing we've got to a window you do slow, you you do the whole slow tv experience to your destination you get out the other side you get you you know you you everything you know everything is 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 passed through to you through a through a a, a, a like a safety thing you get you do tests you do tests on the way and everything they package you and like okay two weeks have passed your your tests have come back clean just let you out you're good. <laughs> I mean, um, I mean, some horrible tragedy will happen when one of those things capsizes. But you know, oh yeah, or when a container <laughs> goes uh, goes over the side, which happens more than anybody would like. Well, they could float. Containers, containers get around. So apparently, um, that's a problem if you're a yachty. Oh no, yeah, because especially if they did, they're, they're only just sort of positively buoyant. They would, they would yep. fucking destroy the f- a fiberglass. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a floating right. steel reef. <laughs> um, I, that's still better Damn, than yeah. what I was thinking of. <laughs> okay, so we are sure that everybody on this boat does not have COVID. On the other hand, three people have shit themselves to death with norovirus this week. That would be the other reason of not making them cruise ships and sealing everybody away from one another, because fuck that. Yeah. <laughs> the plague badges of the Caribbean um, are... <laughs> probably going to be one of the things that the post-COVID world is going to be least missing or at least sad to see go. The phrase, the plague barges of the Caribbean has a certain something to it. I recently saw something about steamships and coal bunkering and the whole process of turning around refueling an ocean liner back in the 30s or 20s. And it was just like, oh... You have to fill this like this 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 vessel weighing thousands of tons with enough fuel to get it across the Atlantic in a turnaround time of less than a couple of days using manpower 
and not causing the thing to just list and invert itself like an like a like a beginning canoeer canoeist. And this is all done before we knew what lungs <laughs> were for, basically. It's yeah. That would be quite a challenge. Yeah, just balancing the damn thing out. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there was a, there was a specific role. I forget precisely the name, but somebody would coordinate. There were there were there were teams on the outside to to load, to unload the coal barges, to hoist huge baskets of coal up and put them through the coal ports, which are basically holes in the side of the ship that you that the, the ship's carpenters, because despite these many of these things being heavily you know mainly made the mass of metal you need to have somebody to professionally seal and certify these things because they were just holes in the side of your big metal boat mm. and apparently one of that was one of the one of the things that people identified you know correctly enough as being a fantastic risk for you know holes in the size of a giant of a giant cruise ship near the waterline <laughs> generally not considered to be a good idea no not optimal yeah but the fact that they that that was one of the the there was like there's like the person who did some research on it found like one report of one was a bit leaky once and they sorted it out but it clearly it was one of those things that people were going yeah if we don't do this put with this one job correctly we are going to lose this entire ship and all of its crew and we'd rather not eh? yeah our insurance company will not be happy and neither will any of the people we lost indeed indeed so that was a wild diversion. Um, but it does lead us nicely onto our um, topic for this episode, which I believe comes to us from the fertile brain of John Ryan, mm-hmm. and reads Space Hobos. Or Hobos. Or Hobos. The number of bees confused us. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, many things confuse us, but this was the specific thing that confuses us. Mm-hmm. Indeed. But it's it's not incorrect. There is there there was there was used in France at least, or reporting on the situation. It was one of those. Um, they had a specific name for the um, for effectively a encampment of unhoused people during the um, during the depression. Was it Hoover towns? No, that rings a bit. Hoovervilles. Hoovervilles. Yes, yes. That's yeah. So they they were called Hooverville. At, at the um at times so which is interesting I should look up the uh the reason that hoover got blamed for those or maybe in a different hoover i'm assuming he was just the, the guy there at the time hmm okay so that was yeah so that's it's interesting but anywho it was a uh there, there is documentary evidence that people have made the spelling mistake in future, so now we can carry... Sorry, in the past, so now we can carry it bravely on to the future and attempt to warp English language slightly further. Oh, yeah. Because that's what we're all about. Well, it'll happen anyway, and we might as well own it. If it's going to happen anyway, we may as well claim responsibility. <laughs> we can be trendsetters or something. Anyway, do you have some ideas? Just to stop me from talking? In- indeed, I do have some ideas. Do you also have some ideas? I do. In my, my typical fashion, I have an idea. And then I have all the other bits that I couldn't figure out how to make work. But I'm going to subject you to them anyway. I, I, I like them. They're, they're like the, uh, the, the the DVD bonuses, which is something that all of our no-millennial listeners would understand particularly. <laughs> no, all none of our millennial listeners, yes. <laughs> Indeed. 
This is life. This is life. So, what you got for us, Ben? I have indeed. I have an idea, and it's largely to do with the fact that I've been marinating my brain in science fiction of a desolate planet survival type thing, uh, largely in the form of the fourth book of the Expanse series, which was the basis of the most recent season of the TV show. Both are excellent. Pick your poison. There is more book, and it's it's very well. It seems very well written to me. It's also it's also approachably written i'm not having too many challenges and getting through a couple of chapters a night despite not being as good at focusing on reading as i once was so that's that's excellent the show looks great and the actors inject a great deal of of personality into many of the characters and there's a couple of there's a couple of characters that they've kind of had to merge together um, from the books and a couple of those Certainly, the presentations of some of the characters is, by the actors is just amazing. So, I, it's one of those situations where I can't say. I mean, if you're a TV person, watch the TV show. If you're a book person, watch read the book, or and then do the other. Whatever is whatever avenue suits you best, but probably mm. check the other out as well. There are more books, so you could you've got up. I think they're, they've announced number nine recently. So, good science fiction, good world building, good honest depictions of human shittiness and rising to the challenge of human shittiness. So some very, some, some good stuff. So as long as we make sure to keep the people who are responsible for the Game of Thrones show the hell away from it, possibly by force, we're all good. They were fine while they had rails. Yeah, but look what happened when they went off them. <laughs> yes. So, to be fair, that was always going to be a challenge, but Hmm. There are some challenges that people rise to. Yep, yep. Speaking of challenges that people rise to, what was your idea? Based on indeed, indeed. marinating on in The Expanse. In the Expanse. The, the second source of my inspiration was um, Ridley Scott's new, t- new TV series, Raised by Wolves. It is set in space, so it has to get a shout-out just for the fact that we've used the Raised by Space Wolves meme. Well, it's not a meme, really. It's just our dumb idea. God damn it, we should sue. <laughs> uh, I don't want to piss off Ridley Scott. I think he is legitimately crazy. I, after watching the show, I'm... Yeah. No, he's... Um, the interesting thing is also he's incorporated a couple of things which seem to also be memes, but unconsciously. I'm not sure more if, you, if you're familiar with... Uh, was it adopts T-Pose to assert dominance meme, which is just a weird thing in a computer game where a character just is glitched out to us to assume the default pose and just hovers around the map being weird to freak out other players i, I don't know it but i can imagine basically if somebody obviously in real life if somebody levitated into the air with their arms just stretched out and started hovering around the black expression on their face you'd find that unsettling yes Yes. Well, they do that. Uh, and also there's uh, one of the organizations is a group of Mithraists who say praise soul, which is very much aligned with the Dark Souls praise the sun meme. Okay. I don't, at this point, I'm not sure if it's deliberate or not. Um, a real quick rundown is that a two androids mother and father land on a um, planet in the Kepler system, decant and start um, 
raising a bunch of embryos as they have been sent by a group known as the atheists to preserve human life as the world, as earth is dying they have been they have narrowly beaten to the the punch a, a colony ship by the aforementioned mithraists who apparently are engaged in the who were engaged in the war with the atheists which caused the downfall of mankind father is delightful who he's basically programmed to make dad jokes or his like develop the the instinct to make dad jokes and practices them the androids are very much the sort of like silver spandex the actors are doing a job of walking and and moving in a a natural sort of way and there's this weird affect mother's a little bit more twitchy and the show evolves from the basically the conflict between these characters and trying to save humanity but also doing a really really bad job of that on several levels and yeah they're struggling with the fact that they're landing on a planet with little idea of what the biomes are like and how it works to some extent again in the uh, in the expanse book sabola burn you have two sets of people attempting to set up habitation on the planet but they're doing on two very different sets of drivers and you're also running to the issue that you've come into an environment where life on the planet might regard you as like a oddly shaped warm puddle of of unfamiliar chemicals or a food source or alternatively a horrific biological weapon against which it has no defense it's really hard to tell and going in mm. without a, a startup um we need a, we a container uh, or something like that um, for shipping humans around without without providing a barrier between those those environments. You don't know what's going to happen, and stuff happens. So, so there's so I was thinking about that. And I was wondering the idea of a hobo. I mean, is I wanted to focus on the fraternal because it was kind of fraternal, but the 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 siblinghood of traveling handy people slash itinerant work-seeking folks because that was the with the, the hobo code which is probably horribly romanticized and the, obviously these folks with probably a very rare exception would have rather had a place to live in a like a dependable income and shelter and so forth but in lieu of that at the time and the you know the depression and various economic crashes earlier folks had to move around take odd jobs you know, be like farmhands and fill in sort different sorts of things. And specifically the hobo code kind of filled in a place of, you know, symbols to, to uh, indicate if somebody was a, would, would, would play fair and offer work or food or something, or something like that. But also that, and I'm not sure, sure who formalized this or was it some sort of attempt to, from an external source or if it came like organically from the folks involved, make sure that everyone played by the rules and play and helped one another. So it was a, it's like mutual aid kind of thing, which is, sounds fabulous. The idea that that led me to was the notion that humanity has, was it, uh, slipped loose the surly bonds, which I think is, is kind of hard on gravity. I and mean, gravity isn't particularly surly. It's just kind of implacable. <laughs> Inflexible. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit of a stickler for that whole, you know, the, the whole acceleration thing. And, you know, good thing, too, because if it was just all whimsical and stuff, the, something awful would have happened by now. Yeah. Cantilevered structures would get a lot more difficult. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, 
and humanity is spreading out into the, the inner solar system, and we've had enough technological advances to make it possible for a small group, probably an extended family, to have the wherewithal to run a habitat in space, and with some support. And so we're not just go, we're not just this like have billionaires on Mars. We've got folks spreading out, and possibly the the what the billionaires or whatever the people who can make available those sorts of kit set domes or space stations and so forth have been doing is trying to try to uh, make their remake their investment by getting people the equipment to go out and partially fund them seeking their fortune among the stars and folks are able to do this but of course there's going to be they only need some support and it's probably what they were banking on uh, providing those sorts of services and and things however there's some sort of collapse maybe maybe the Kessler syndrome strikes and you end up with a, a, an orbit full of debris maybe maybe just it got to the point where people are getting sent out into the into the um the asteroid belt and the the inner planets and it eventually gets such a volume that there's inevitably an accident which causes much of the orbit of the earth to be a wickedly dangerous place and make sort of like mass the mass exodus cut off and also supporting the folks who are in the system much harder it's possible to get things through it's easier down rather than up, and the object, the things in question should be disposable. Well, it should be relatively expendable or heavily armoured. Preferably both. Preferably both. So that there is, so exchange can happen, but it's not, it's not certain. So you can't really depend on it. So those places out there have suddenly gone from being kind of family-owned truck stop to homestead. Yes, possibly very much a home- without planning. Mm-hmm. Put, yeah, possibly with 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 little with little thing, and the notion would be that some folks have filled the gap in the support structures by traveling around, and because space is hard, y'all, you can't just like one person cannot survive by themselves in space for an indefinite period. There's too many things that you have to be able to like check someone's suit externally, coordinate. EVA and so forth, go and help someone get out of a situation they've gotten into. So they, they form little, little collective groups, and they're going around offering their very specialised services to folks who are staying put, doing their thing. And these are your your space hobos. So they're the um, your your kings of the road, but in space, going kings around of the doing spaceways, kings of the orbits. Hmm. If they're in good standing and a fair dealing kind of folks, they go from place to place, trusted to help out. Maybe, maybe you just need an extra sets of hands to do a particular task. Maybe there's a pseudo seasonal kind of thing that they can, they, they can, someone can can send out a thing like, "Hey, we need some folks to help us with this." And in the context of a game, whoo, made it. <coughs> you, the players are these are, these folks itinerant workers traveling around offering their their particular services and and you know because they're they're they're, they're the outsider they're the like the dog from the littlest hobo which i just can't believe i just flashed back to <laughs> or the 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 tv show the incredible hulk crew went around and okay and and mostly solved people's problems occasionally lou frigo would turn up and hulk out they're actually helping these communities and and, and getting involved in little a little 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 tales and little stories in these places so 
it's a bit of a convoluted setup the idea that these isolated pockets need sometimes just an external perspective sometimes you know work sometimes there is a conflict to be resolved could make it quite a i would make it a relatively a relatively low-key kind of kind of chill um a little bit like the uh flat pack rpg though with a system that we can understand mm. and the idea of going around helping people and and, and and learning about the world and learning about yourself kind of stuff so it'd be pretty it would be pretty simple wholesome experience would be what i would be going for it wouldn't yeah because I, I had various other scrap thoughts like like yourself but that was the one that i thought i would land on as the best sort of outcome mm, I mean, it puts me you know there's some ob- ob- obvious parallels to certain species of western of the mm-hmm. sort of the the, the the traveling group kind of arriving solving the small town's problems and then leaving again I, w- I wanted to draw out similarities to that, but with, you know, less r- six shooters and genocide kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. A, a, a lot less land theft and genocide and, yeah, as you, <laughs> as you say. As, as less as possible, ideally. Yeah. Like, bare minimum. Even less than that. Just keep, 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 keep going down. Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the sentiment of hardy frontier folks doing, needing a, needing a, a pinch of help to muck along. Sure, but but leave it at that. Yeah, I'm liking it. Hmm. Yeah, system system would be an interesting one because while it's quite a technical t- setting, I kind of get the idea that the the tech, the fine details of the tech, wouldn't be that much of a big deal in the game. I think that might be up to that's certainly up to the. It shouldn't be defined in the rule system. The players can talk about, you know, CO2 scrubbers and radiation shielding and so forth to the depth of knowledge that they are comfortable with. I mean, yeah, the idea would be to provide some, you know, long-term effects of um, microgravity and things like that so people know what the kind of score is and they don't get... Well, if they want to go completely fucking Flash Gordon and, there's, and you know, you land on the, the top of the asteroid, you walk to the barn and say, how are you doing? Um... Fill your boots. Just fill your space boots. Just do it if you want. Which I'm kind of loving at the moment. <laughs> I get the idea of like a bafflingly like pink through mauve gradient and this like chunky styrofoam looking asteroid and the the, the 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 rocket with the sparklers at the back arrives and these folks get out and they're in their their dungarees and their their fishbowl helmets and and, and wave at the, uh, the the farmers over there. It's like yeah, it kind of. That 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 uh, this slaps me on the knee. It really does. Um, it's a fun sort of setting. I do like the sort of verging on the edge of, but not quite space fantasy type settings, where it's mm, just. Mm. I mean, I was thinking about the Star Wars films and thinking that I could really only remember one scene from any of them where there is any acknowledgement that there might be vacuum in space. Oh yeah. Um. It turns up a bit more in the Clone Wars animation, but mm. it ha- like was it? Sorry, was that one per movie or the entire series? That's the entire series. The only thing I can think of is how worried are we about spoilers for the Star Wars at this point? Like Not Star- very. Okay. <laughs> um, the the whole bit of oh my god, the bridge of the ship has been destroyed. General uh, General Organa. 
Oh, right, right, yes. Is in space and then flies back with her force powers and, and collapses. And, and that is... That, and, mm, mm. and she shouldn't have been able to survive out there. Whereas for the entire... I mean, at one point, they're wandering around inside the stomach of a gigantic... Inside the intestines of a gigantic space worm that they've flown a yeah. spaceship into and they're wearing oxygen masks and that's it. Clearly, yes. vacuum exposure is not an issue in this universe. <laughs> there was a, there's, a, yeah, there's, a, there's a lot of physics Tom Fuller. I was semi-thinking of the bit where the superstar destroyer, the executor, has the bridge. I was I thought you were going to go this because the, the bridge is destroyed by the guy crashing into it, which, you know, good idea. Put your bridge right on top and exposed. Uh, I think we can all learn from this moment. But... Which means that this gigantic, wedge-shaped, chonky boy of a ship immediately kind of swallow dives into the surface of the Death Star because it's crashing. Because no yes. one is with the controls anymore. It's like, ah, uh, okay. <laughs> so yeah. it, it previously had been like, float. it wasn't, it, there'd been no indication that it was like, yes, Commander, drive directly towards our, our space station. Don't worry. We will make a we'll make a course adjustment and and turn in a few minutes. Oh look, what's that out the window? Um, <laughs> it's like they just kind of what's that? That, that that basically does 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 an inverted roll and just plows into the surface of the station. It's like yep. Point first. It was like uh, what did they cause? Was it relying on some sort of inertial thing or anti gravity to keep it from falling into the station? And if the station is that massive. Why didn't the rebels just turn up with rocks? Because <laughs> rocks are cheap. <laughs> yeah, rocks are super duper cheap. Rocks are yeah. That that is like the the the, the first time when when people go. It, that would be one of the parts of the whole the Kessler syndrome and the uh, the, the situation I'm describing where it would get very depressing very quickly. Is like yes, if if you don't stop send, if you don't if you stop sending us water and air, we will start sending you iron and nickel. <laughs> mm. It's a, gravity wells have upsides and downsides. Let's put it that way. So yes, this, sorry, I'm just trying to get through the yeah that the idea that yes, Star Wars. This, I suspect there's other things as well that just you know the operation of the ships and the way that they everything sort of operates on a plane and various other things is all very spurious. But it's it's that's the world that they've elected to um, to, to portray work with. Yeah. So yes, I, I do like that. That has a certain yeah, I do have a soft spot for that, and so the whole thing of the, the, the ridiculous bubble helmet that does not in any way seal to the dungarees and isn't <laughs> yeah, just, connected to anything. As long as you've got a, you've got a fishbowl on your head, you're dandy. And I mean, you know, maybe maybe there is some sort of pinnacle technology that means a set of overalls and, and a fishbowl are sufficient that's that they, they they're taking care of all that business we don't need these i mean they've improved the maneuverability and, and cooling systems and so forth for spacesuits immeasurably just in the last yeah turns out all they really needed was a good set of dungarees maybe a flannel <laughs> shirt <laughs> and a fishbowl i'm i'm liking it I, i'm not sure what you'd use as a system yeah because it's it's not regardless if you were doing a hard sci-fi. Well, The Expanse is relatively hard sci-fi. I mean, there's lots of discussions of, um, yes, discussions of how you, if, if one of your one of your arguments in a negotiation is a one kilogram slug of tungsten accelerated to a detectable fraction of the speed of a speed of light, 
Yeah, it's it, it's got a, it's got a nice a nice sort of uh, crunch to it. Yep. But the 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 idea would be that the people playing the game should settle on what how technical it is, and the game the the mechanics of the game will model how they use those sorts of things to um, to accomplish their ends. So, that, mm. so the, the descriptions could be up to up, up to the folks. So yeah, I'm not I'm not too sure. I'm not too sure. That is a that's one that's worth. It resembles to a degree Dogs in the Vineyard. I was wondering. Yeah. And though that has a that has kind of like an escalation, effectively a bidding war kind of thing. And I think this is not quite Yeah, it, it's basic in, in Dogs Dogs in the Vineyard, as I understand it, you're basically try you are testing how committed someone is to their stance. Are they are they committed enough they're willing to get talked too harshly, roughed up a bit, or shot. Mm. Yeah, it's like, how how completely the character committed to the thing. So we need something a little less nakedly hostile at its foundation. Not that I think that is about naked hostility, but it is, Dogs in the Vineyard is about the, um, these people being basically judges and trying to find out what is, to root out the, the evil that afflicts a place. Partially, mm. I think this kind of covers it. But it won't be the idea that it is the, um, it'll be fixing a problem rather than yeah, bringing judgment. So it's a more, more, more cooperative, toolboxy approach to that situation. Yeah. I'm liking mm. it. Yeah, that needs, yeah, that needs a hell of a lot more. It's a good start about. though, I do. Yeah. And I'm reasonably happy with where we're situating itinerant working folks in that kind of in that kind of perspective, I think that's mm. good. I, I feel at least I, I feel comfortable about that and not awful and dreadful because I was thinking, what if there were like, no, oh, we'll, we'll talk about our scraps later. So, cool. I, if if you've got any if you've got any sort of input onto that, let me know. But um, I am liking. So, it. I mean, the yeah, the whole thing of the the, the itinerants with a fairly unique yeah you know, fairly unique and useful set of skills that aren't Liam Neeson from the Taken movies. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I haven't said, yeah, sort of doctoring and fixing stuff and... Yeah, things things that are that, and, and specialties that aren't needed 24-7, because there's folks, the folks on the little homesteads will, will know how to do this. But stuff mm-hmm. was like, all right, we have, we're having a weird problem with our, our modular fusion reactor or something. Um, it's making a funny noise. It's like, oh, okay, because apparently making fusion reactors making funny noises is indication of things going wrong disturbingly enough you maybe probably, like, ah, yep. yeah you probably don't want to get the um get to the point where it suddenly stops making the noise and suddenly starts being the center of a chunk taken out of your asteroid yeah <laughs> so maybe maybe you know, you have your reactor whisperer and your your um somebody who's good at arresting runaway environment catastrophes and things like and things like that so there could be a, a range of, of sort of skills with hydroponics or um, mm. solar arrays and things but it's more of the excuse to get you in the door and find out what's going on and, and help people out like the opposite of the love boat did not expect you to go there gonna be yeah no, neither did I because I, the, the, my brain goes the, the opposite of the love boat is the hate raft no 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 <laughs> <laughs> certainly did not expect you to go there <laughs> yeah wow it's, uh, also yeah, that so, works uh, as a theme tune <laughs> it, it, it scans disturbingly well. 
The hate rounds. See, there you go. I just didn't want to sing it. Now that exciting and new... No, no. Really doesn't. <laughs> no, it'll be okay. exciting and new. Yeah. Um. yeah. Okay, so eject that one. <laughs> I, the hate raft kind of sounds like every reality TV show ever. True. It is, yeah. Or the um, the lifeboat game, which somebody is, some people have reinvented re- recently called, in a, a video game ver- uh, version um, uh, called Among Us, which is delightful to watch. I watched the Loading Ready Run people playing it. And watching Canadians backstab and conspire is just just ah, it's, just, it's the sweetest biscuit I, I i have recently been seeing a whole lot of references to among us took me a while to figure out what the hell this was all about but i eventually got there sort of <laughs> when, you, when somebody when you when your introduction is uh, the picture of the last supper with there is one imposter among us it's a little bit hardcore yeah mm. i mean i have seen the image of somebody sort of coming up to do a grisly murder does the grizzly murder and then discovers that, in fact, every other player was standing in the same place. They just killed the one on top of the pile. I've seen that one. Oh, right. It's stacking. That's yep. uh, that's not really a um, a crew member's strategy. That's, supposed, that's more of a, oh, look, there are people I, I, I can I can kill in the same place so I can get them all. <laughs> I, c- I can hide the body underneath the pile of other multicolored chubby person bodies. Yeah. So the body under other different bodies. How does that play out long term? Anyway, pretty well in a in a was fundamentally a two D game. So he's <laughs> <laughs> um, like, "There's a body there. Can I remember what color it was? Because they're all primary primary mm. colors. It's like, huh, yeah, did they pay that much attention? Hmm, that could be a problem. Yeah, it's 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 more the um, it's 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 more the oh, someone just got murdered." And there was a person at the at the entrance to every single um, um, thing to that room, and so, two people saw you go in, and oh, oh no, <laughs> oh baboons. Okay, Sorry, so sometime. yeah, I am liking that one. As you say, yeah, you need to you need to find the right system to kind of capture what you're trying to do. Hmm. But I think manufacturing it. It specifically for that experience is probably the um, the way to go. Probably yes, but cool. Oh. I do like that. Yeah. Right. So I guess you must also have had an idea. Maybe. I did. In, in my my standard way, I have an idea, and then I have the various bits of detritus that kind of fell off that may mm-hmm. be useful to somebody. But I go with the the idea, and let's say up front, this idea is one hundred percent about the image. Of a space hobo sitting in the open door of some kind of train car going past a planet, right? That was that was the basis of this. Just right. So an open-sided cargo car. Yeah. And and there is just like an alien moon in in the shot. Indeed. And yeah, a hobo, possibly in a spacesuit. Possibly because I also landed on the space opera thing where like a face mask or a bubble helmet and a thick jacket is easy enough to do the job. The sort of the space fantasy thing. And so, yes, we've got, in order to make this happen, we've got a situation where freight between planets and systems is cheap enough and easy enough that it's worth doing. And it's simple enough to do that you don't have absolutely massive freighters with, with containerized freight. But smaller 
effectively trains of cargo pods being dragged along. You know, whether these mm. are connected sort of end to end, or whether you've maybe got a central spine with you know three or four or whatever pods sort of radially around it. I kind of like that approach just because it sort of gives you a more fun environment. But that's that's the basic idea, and the you know the the ships very much move at the speed of plot. You could you could go with something like, oh, well, yes, your speed increases the further you get away from gravity wells. And so as you get further outside of the system, you can speed up, which conveniently means that you can absolutely scream along in interstellar space, but you mm. have to slow down past all of the interesting shit. Mm. Mm. Indeed, that's 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 good. It's also, uh, it's not called the Faku Newton Drive, but um, close. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's like that. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah, maybe you, know, you could go with the, I think it was Traveller 2300 head, the stutter warp, which mm. yeah wasn't wasn't sort of a you take a, a great big shortcut through the universe. It was a you you only jump a few hundred meters or a few kilometers, but you do it instantaneously and you can keep doing it. Yeah, and so from a certain from your own point of view, it looks like you're traveling at a significant multiple of the speed of light. Mm. But each individual that's just because you're cycling the drive very quickly. So that, mm. that kind of thing. Okay. So that's sort of part of the setting. I figure in terms of, of how we achieve this, it's either space fantasy, space opera, so that you've got the um, sort of somebody hitching a ride on a, a interstellar freight train and just kind of sitting there dangling their feet out the, um, out the door and watching as they go sailing past Jupiter. Or you go to the other extreme and you go full-on transhumanist. Hmm. Where... The necessary modifications to allow a human being to simply wander around in a hard vacuum wearing a jumpsuit are sufficiently commonplace and sufficiently cheap that a traveling or itinerant geek worker could reasonably have acquired them. Be Hmm. that because, you know, it's the sort of thing that you can save up to get and it's not that expensive, you know, sort of in the equivalent of a really nice sleeping bag, or maybe it's the sort of thing that you know, having people who can work on your space habitat without the need for oxygen tanks, spacesuits, etc., is sufficiently worthwhile that a company will simply give you those mods mm. in return for a certain period of work, and you just kind of wander away with them. Or it's it's a good enough investment that rather hems you into a specific um, line of work mm. that people are willing to to make that exchange. And you know, it, it, when you when you say when you say transhumanist, it might not be ah, we are going to turn your puny flesh into something and survive vacuum. It's like yeah, we'll just pop you into a thing that survives vacuum. You good? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It depends on what sort. Of, yeah, which, which direction of transhumanism you want to go with? Whether it's sort of full body replacement and you're basically a mm-hmm. a, a brain and a spinal cord floating around inside this metal hulk, or, or an algorithm of of you. Yeah. Just running on on slightly more robust hardware or you've got something that's woven into your skin and they've sort of just mm. hardened up the orifices as it were and um <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're talking about people taking concrete pills before i'm pretty sure that's not what you meant <laughs> it is not so oh, so that's the setup because yeah for for a, for a game you kind of yeah you've got we've got the setting and we've got a setup the characters kind of take care of themselves because it's an rpg but then I'm going to call you call you bullshit on that one. I think you, you do need a reason for what they are has to mesh with what they do. 
Well, that's kind of what we're getting to. That, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's what, that's what that was. Yes, my, that was my, my my the pending question is what do what do indeed that was yeah that was that was a bit basically I, I then had to try to come up with a way of of giving them something to do because hmm. ultimately there the needs to be something for them to do. Yeah, you know, I sort of thought about well, you could yeah you, know, you could go with very much this sort of Brotherhood of the Road. You've got the the, the hobos traveling the spaceways, righting wrongs, and and making the world a better place. But to be honest, the game Hobomancer already exists. This would just be a reskin of Hobomancer with Bubble Helmet. Could be worse. I mean, that's I that's we, we've done we've done lazier hacks before. To be honest, well, that's true. <laughs> and you know, now that I think about it, I am kind of into the idea of of Hobomancers in space. So you've got the the magicians of the road. It's just that the road is is an orbital path. Hmm. But I didn't want to do that, and so what it struck me is that this is. This is a very nice setup for the wrong place, wrong time sort of game that you've got. Presumably, if you've got containerized and, in this case, non-containerized freight being moved around, you've presumably got people being moved around. There's stuff happening, mm-hmm. and when people think of a a a freight train, in this case, a freight space train, but it's still a, a freight train, they're kind of thinking, well, okay, you've got the guy driving it. Given that it's happening in space, there's probably a small crew driving it, but they're where the engine is. They're not anywhere else in the train. And so it would be easy enough to assume that the rest of that train is unobserved territory. Mm. So nobody's supposed to be there, and so nobody will see the dodgy shit that's going on. Hmm. But there were some people there, and they did see it. Huh. Okay, so making it the... The, the, the circumstances are diabolical doings happen on the train and there are some some happy-go-lucky inverted co- inverted sets of commas. Less on the lucky in this particular case, but yeah, probably yeah, needs to yeah. be happy until whatever it was happened. <laughs> Unhappy-go-unlucky folks yeah. witness it and they weren't supposed to be there in the first place, so it's all very difficult. So yeah, so it'd be, it would be, it'd be kicking off a... A evade capture and possibly unframe yourself and bring the the bad people to justice kind of situation, but played from the steep incline of you are undocumented workers on a speeding intergalactic train. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. Yep. That raises the stakes considerable. Yeah. And depending on how you wanted to do it, for you know, given the various setups from sort of space opera slash space fantasy all the way through to transhumanist. On the transhumanist side of things, given that Eclipse Phase exists as a game, mm-hmm. uh, given that transhumanist horror is a thing, mm. you'd be missing a trick if you didn't at least consider that the thing that they've witnessed is, well, depending on how horror you want to go, a few trains have gone missing from time to time. Nobody really knows why. Well, you just found out why. Mm. And now you get to survive whatever horrifying alien thing hatched or attached itself and is chewing its way up the train. Yeah. Or possibly chewing its way down the train, having already dealt with the engine compartment, but left the engines running. That's a pretty, um, yeah. I mean, if, if, especially if you've got like a precedent of that one time the train didn't stop and now we don't have a moon anymore or yeah, the idea, it doesn't, that's, that's good. Full high tension 
we have a haunted house, but it's it's going to crash into a planet kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Right? That's, that, which that, is going to miss and never stop. Yeah, that's your alien aliens mm. sort of... That's kind of where I would be pitching it. Is that that level of... Okay. That level of horror. It's like either we deal with this or we're all going to die. And probably other folks too. Yeah. And, and probably other folks too, but by then it won't be our problem. <laughs> right now, it, 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 we're first on the list, so let's Indeed. deal with this problem. You could have roll it back slightly and it'd be a discovery of like a more normal, e.g. cyber kidnapping or body harvesting or something um, oh, yeah. issue. Still distressing and horrible, just just not as uh, not not as ex- existentially catastrophic. That would be quite an entertaining one from a, from a horribleness point of view, or just sort of you know, somebody effectively clambering out of their um, yeah. Again, if we're going taking the sort of the transhumanist um, um, approach, clambering out of their cargo pod effectively to take a walk and finding that there are just huge numbers of pods that are just from the look of it ostensibly unmodified people who are just standing there watching vacantly. I don't know what you do with that, but it's a creepy-ass image. It is. Yeah. Well, it's possibly they've discovered that, you know, that partway through the journey, a one of the one of the pots has gone missing, which is, given that you're, you're, you're being shunted along at relativistic speeds, it's like, how is that even possible? How did that get reconnected afterwards? Did no one notice? Yeah, how does somebody, like, yes, how does somebody lift mm-hmm. a container off a ship that is... Literally traveling in a warp bubble. What? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So it's a real, a real sort of a, a a mystery of that kind of thing, or you know, literally just coming across. Maybe you know, people are just just as you say, it was an, an it's unobserved territory. So the idea might be that the um, that near dwells have put basically put in installations or facilities to do horrible illegal things that you can't do within the light cone of right minded. People with civilized with, with senses, yeah, in civilized space, and they're just carrying out doing their their hideous their hideous stuff in in the in between, knowing that you know the the the, the that the the drive crew won't because you know they're busy dealing with their 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 what they're doing, um, and there's no one else to pick up what they're doing. It just happens to be some sort of there's some sort of grisly experiment or that yeah you know, that emits gravity waves or something like that. Yeah, or just just they don't want to be disturbed for the 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 length the length of one interstellar transit hall, mm. and they're not going to be until there. Indeed, for the the sort of the other lighter end of the spectrum for the space opera or space fantasy, I mean you can't go wrong with a good hijacking, mm. um, theft, smugglers, pirates, yeah, bank, you know the the possibly some robbers. some sort of. Um, some sort of political machination thing going on. You know, there's a plot to uh, plot to depose the local governor, depending on your setup. Hmm. That may have been pinched from an Isaac Asimov novel. Now that I say it out loud, hmm. so that's that's kind of where I went with that. Was basically okay. realistically, it's probably going to be a short, shortish game, not quite a one shot, but a, there is a situation when it's dealt with. The movie's over. Yeah, you're dealing with a very specific problem. That's great. That's yeah. a, it's, it's a good thing to aim for because you're a good, a good prescribed thing. It has less of a, a less of a rambly potential that mine has, but you know it's a horses for courses. So, mm. cool, 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 cool. Hmm. I think 
Yeah, I should probably we should probably shout out um, Plantes, the um, space garbage anime, which we should always mention when we talk about Kessler syndrome and people trying to do work in outer in in space. Absolutely, always always a a podcast favorite, and we'll someday figure out how to pronounce it. No, we won't. Space garbage collector anime. I'm pretty confident that we'll find it for you. Yeah, yeah. So that that that's what I went with. I mean, you you mentioned that you had various bits of ideas that didn't work for yours, well, or that didn't 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 launch. Well, I didn't. Th- I thought about the trains thing, but that would kind of uh, that invoked like railway balls and the possibility of being flung off a um, <laughs> interstellar train. So I was going for something more. Like I said, chill. So <laughs> it didn't quite work. Yeah, less awful than where I went then. Yes, but I gotta respect your commitment to the awfulness. That's uh That's what I do. It's kind of I have had a particularly silly idea about the um the notion of and I think I think it's been stuck in my head while just basically waiting for somebody to disprove or just to, to spot why it's not a good idea. The notion of having what's effectively a um an orbital a, a transorbital lift the idea that you you set some big big mass in motion in an orbit that crosses an elliptical orbit that crosses two others and you use it basically as a way to accelerate yourself up to that level of, uh, to to transit between the two the, the two orbits but i suspect that would be pointless if you could if you could accelerate the object you could probably uh, like an asteroid or something you could goddamn accelerate a million small spaceships in the same arc, and you would have less of a chance of that asteroid running into either of the either of the other planets. So, there was a concept that I never fully understood the physics of because, surprise, surprise, I am not a physicist. Mm. I forget whose whose it was, but it was the concept of a a skyhawk. Mm. Would basically be a big a big rotating tether, and I think from from memory here, and I'm sure somebody can leap on to correct me, the notion was that you sort of start off with your your payload like on the surface. There's fairly tricky timing, but the skyhook basically hooks the thing off the surface, transfers the momentum to fling the thing into an orbit, then another one catches it and flings it into a higher orbit, and you kind of ladder your way up. Yeah, I I can I can that makes sense in as much yeah you probably have to correct the orbits occasionally for the probably for, for the for the hooks because you, you your your acceleration of the mass on the ground is coming from somewhere. My idea is a bit more like a all right we 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 know we need to go from Earth to Mars or, Mars or Earth to Venus a lot. We're going to get this trusty asteroid here and just have it nominally orbiting earth or or venus but have that that all being so uh, so elliptical that it actually kind of just passes the other the other um the the orbital path of the other of the other planet and whenever we need to go there you basically just hook on and but you you'd have to match velocity at some point unless you have like whatever super material you're using for a skyhook tether um and uh and also be small enough to not decelerate the thing you're hooking onto and also be able to survive the resultant acceleration on your end. So, but then again, I think the, the, the orbital economics of making or getting the object to do what you want in the first place and also not having it just eventually 
pulled, of course, by every other thing in the uh, solar system, including stupid Mr. Sol, probably just makes it une- just unfeasible. <laughs> I will mention this to put it in the show notes, um, a thing called the Aldrin Cycler, mm-hmm. which is kind of a similar idea. Okay. It is the the notion of a a ship or multiple ships that are in these um, sort of cyclic cyclic orbits between Earth and Mars without needing any um, any propellant, so that then all you need to do is rendezvous with those ships at a convenient point at each end. Hmm. And just just use them like ele- elevator cars, basically. Okay. Pretty much, yeah. The yeah, the mm. whole sort of needing to get up to speed does um, does get mentioned in the Wikipedia article that I am currently looking at. If you had some sort of cheat where basically you could turn off inertia and just get in the way of it, that would probably be good. Oh, E. Doc Smith's Lensman series. Yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> all right, we need to we we need to we need to get a lift. All right, park ourselves here. Turn off the inertia. Oof. Yeah, this is going to get weird. To, Fwing! And we're at speed. Cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, of course, the, 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 the issue with developing an inertial drive on the surface of a plant is that you will immediately get buried or launched over the horizon when, when you turn it on. Yeah, how do we know if it works? <laughs> Fwing! It works. <laughs> it's like, oh, whoosh! You're like, whoa! <laughs> yeah, that would be... Uh, discussions of this sort always sort of like... I mean, talking about the skyhook and so forth, the, 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 um, I think the problem with the skyhook thing would be that, that it would be so fucking loud... Because your sky will be tearing through the um, the atmosphere at at least a proportion of orbital speed. Yeah, mark lots. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's a lot worse than living near an airport. That's like living in a jet engine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's not. Yeah, it's only once a day. Never mind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would be the uh, that would be the the issue with. Ah, oh, there was a a grand old movie vaguely based on Project Pluto about an alien vessel that was knocked out of control by russian um anti-missile uh, defenses that basically just blasted its way across canada towards detroit i think or chicago it's like oh oh that thing's really really fast really low and extremely hot um we are running out of listening posts in alaska this is going to get bad <laughs> yeah yeah also a large amount of saskatchewan is on fire yeah, I think it's like the the rogue missile or something like that. Just a very a very bad day. So yes, that that yeah, things like that that um, like cannons for launching things and all. It's like that sounds like a great idea, except not in my backyard. And yeah. also the 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 knot is a very considerable size. Yeah, you don't you don't want to be anywhere near it. Okay, but yes, if you had that, so what you're thinking sort of space hobos on 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 these bizarre momentum loop kind of trains mm, yeah but the, that one that evoked for me was like the idea of railway balls and the violence and inherent in the system so yeah. yeah i was less keen on that yeah that's fair <laughs> because there was that whole thing of is this space hobos or space hobos and because i know one person ever who used the term hobo to mean hobbit they're playing on gobos weren't they possibly i'm, I'm not sure I'm too scared to ask at this point. That's fair. Uh, it did sort of make me think of, effectively, sort of the, the, the Hobbiton or the Shire version of Pilgrims of the Flying Temple or, or the Little Prince, 
You know, these, okay. these tiny little worldlets with one family or one thing on them with inexplicable atmosphere and gravity. Mm. And orientation and, like, however they support themselves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if, if you took the little of the hill that Bag End is on in... in... Mm. Slap it onto a Yes album cover. <laughs> wow. Okay, yeah, actually, yes. And it's, it's a tiny world that has one hobbit burrow on it and like a tree and some grass and Hmm. you know that's about it and you know i I could sort of i could see that working as a setting but i couldn't for the life of me figure out anything you could do with it beyond it just being Hmm. it's it's an unusual fantasy setting yeah so you could could transplant pretty much any kind of fantasy game into that kind of idea and you can have a bit of fun if you wanted to go with sort of the, the elves living in trees of like gigantic floating space trees that the elves live in. And Everyone but, has jetpacks, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a, a, a little bit sort of the integral trees, Larry Niven, but still, the principles remains the same. <laughs> but yeah, I couldn't really think of other than, okay, here's a weird and funny setting for your fantasy game. I couldn't think of any way of getting sort of space hobbits out of it that made it anything more than it's a fantasy game, but we've put space in it. Sort of an idea that didn't really uh, go anywhere. The curse of Spelljammer. <laughs> well, to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, Spelljammer exists. Um, Starfinder exists. Though Starfinder, to my understanding, is more magical world has developed technology and space travel mm. and everything, but still kept its magic. Whereas... Spelljammer was we are travelling in space through the use of magic. And giant hamsters. I don't remember the giant hamsters. I swear there was giant hamsters in it. But I, that might just be a hallucination from, from many years ago. I mean, I, I know somebody who inherited running a Spelljammer game that was basically Star Trek with spells. I'm making a face. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it was a thing. To be fair... Yeah, no, I, 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 I shouldn't, I shouldn't judge. I have done much worse things. So, yeah, I, I think it had space orcs as the Romulans. I mean, it was, it was quite blatant from what I've been told. Yeah, there, there is a, there is, um, like twenty-five-year-old me is dying of cringe right now. But yeah, I think I've adjusted since, uh, adjusted my expectations since then. Yep. Um. So there was that one. You, you know how we were saying that my the transhumanist horror one was was pretty dark. Okay. I did have a a darker one. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) This this one kind of came came from a a daft idea I'd had ages ago, just incomprehensibly huge spacecraft to the extent that they kind of, well, not so much pull into orbit, it's just like hover above a planet and lower the landing keel kind of of situation. Just incomprehensibly vast ships. Starship Titanic kind of. That kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, and the idea that these these are ships that are, are very big and they're very old and they're very automated, sort of, to the extent that they don't really have a crew anymore. They just kind of... They would be too big to coordinate the crew if they had a crew big enough to be a crew. Indeed. So instead they just kind of, if they actually need a person to do something, they'll just rope in whoever happens to be hitching a lift. And right. you know, to the extent that there are sort of trains in this one... It mostly came from the idea of the, the internal transport system, which is probably more designed for palletized and containerized freight than actual people, of this mm-hmm. incomprehensibly huge ship. 
setting wise or sort of timeline wise i'm thinking that this is this is kind of after you know after a great diaspora of of humanity that humanity has gone out there that these ships are are still circling so it's a bit like the there was the glory series of books which was basically interstellar sailing ships using tachyon sails because they author wanted things to happen in a reasonable period of time but the general vibe was the whole thing of you know they've set up a lot of colonies but given the period of time it takes for ships to go around the colonies you might get back and find that everybody died centuries ago or fecked off for another galaxy or you know are now not really recognizably human and don't don't understand what you're doing blotting out the sun pretty much yeah and so this this one would be rather more of a um, this this is less less sort of a, a game about the environment and rather more a game about the the characters that somebody sort of hitching a lift on one of these things is probably running to something from something or possibly running from themselves mm. in which case they're shit out of luck but it's you know it's sort of the the people on board are a bit lost they've got their problems. Some people stick around, so maybe there's a bit of community. Some people don't. This owes some some fairly heavy, there's some heavy, fairly heavy stuff from a RPG net thread about uh, I think called Counting to Infinity, which is all about a a ship full, yeah, a damaged ship full of damaged people, and the two sort of heal each other. Hmm. But it also made me think of the the anime Girls Last Tour and the. Hmm. The, the RPG based on it from uh, John Raya, Kids Last Tour, which sort of put me in mind of, what if you had just sort of the remnants of humanity hitching a lift on this ship or these ships that maybe nobody actually knows who built the damn things and who's running them? Mm. Right, so it's, it's the ship is functionally like a jellyfish or something. It's like a, it's like a colony creature. Yeah. It just happens to be space going and incomprehensibly big and have all of these things that go on that that that's it's adapted to its new inhabitants to a degree and the inhabitants have adapted back and so forth yeah yeah a bit like tamson house from a couple of charles delint books which was this sort of Hmm. very big city block sized somewhat magical house where people would tend to find it when they needed it and people who didn't belong there tended not to stay yeah so a, a slightly more mystical version of the valerian and the city of a thousand planets kind of thing oh yes yeah 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 which is more of a trade slash cultural hub that's been bolted together over thousands of years to to become this massive accretion of things this is more of a a unguided sentient sort of community organism thing a bit like our um forest and space idea for the everything on the ship is alive kind of notion yeah yeah i like it cool yeah it's very much sort of the cold unfeeling universe because the ship really is only interested in picking up cargo and taking it to its destination it doesn't really care about the organic <laughs> material that comes along with it doesn't mind it being there it's just not interested it's it's more inscrutable than anything yeah maybe there is maybe that's part of the the, the mystery that's the thing you figure out it's like not not even what what does it do what does it want it's like oh does it care at all scruting the inscrutable don't let me say that again that was an awful <laughs> phrase yes you scruted it up i totally scruted that 
That's in my head now. Okay, so moving yes. on from the terrible, terrible things that we just did, and by mm-hmm. we I mean I, mm-hmm. I note with some considerable relief, because let's face it, we need a distraction at this point, that we have some content and comments and, and uh, offerings from the audience, and I think the audience at this point is probably desperate to hear those. <laughs> Any alternative, I'm sure. Mm. Tim helpfully uh, reminded me that I was was confusing two things when from my talk memories. Uh, he wrote to us, The gimmick I think Ben was referring to with Torg relates to taking back Earth reality from the invaders. The invaders use gadgets called Stale to create borders of their reality on Earth, and enterprising heroes can rip them up after defeating their defences. The problem is, when they transformed the people to the invading reality, the Stale drained all of the the people's possibility in energy, TM. If the people get transformed back with no possibility energy, they go foom as the transformation gets fueled by mundane energy in their bodies instead. You can refill people's possibility energy by telling inspirational stories of your heroics in game terms, the times you rolled a 60 plus on exploding d20 and played the right cards on the roll, before ripping up the stele. In theory, the PCs in the original game were supposed not to know this the first time they ripped up the stele, which strikes me as unnecessarily cruel for a game of cinematic heroics. Yep, thank you, Tim. Yes, it was me getting puzzled between that mechanic and the one of invoking a reality storm to uh, to to challenge somebody there which is uh which was a whole thing i think the person that i recall i recall trying it i think was was literally giving it a go and see how the system worked and ended up getting their um i can't remember what the character started out with but the it the it escalated to the point where they they um they lost the conflict and got turned into a lizard i am Glad to hear that they've made it uh, more toned down in the new system. <laughs> yeah, and also as I remember that the the, um, the Stella marked out like demarked like triangles of potentially hundreds of miles on each side. So yeah, having the the heroes go, yes, we blow up the bad guy's base, and holy crap, we murdered thousands of people. That would be um, that's uncalled for. Were the stellae at, like, the points of the triangles? Because then potentially you... Okay, so you've just potentially blown up three different... Assuming they kind of tessellate. Ooh. Yeah, you've you've potentially blown up a lot of different biomes, for want of a better word, all at once. I I Normally, I think you would start at... You'd start at the corners, so... You would only be... You'd only be removing one of the, the triangles, but... I was just wondering if the same stele was kind of the border of multiple triangles. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if then if you take if you took out a nexus, it would heal back to the ones that are there, that exist there. But, oh, okay. Yeah, if you if you if you if you really if you really missed the hints that there was going to be some consequences, and you went for like a a central node, so they all and you sort of you like collapsed five or six simultaneously. I'm recalling the maps. I don't think they were they were quite that complicated, but yeah, you could you could there was definitely the 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 difference between doing that potentially and doing like ah we'll take out this remote one because the defenses won't be as strong could also be horrifically um horrific uh, horrific scale difference. Mm. Yes, we have succeeded. Why did everybody just explode? Yes, we have succeeded. Oh no! Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Does anybody have a mop? Yeah. It, it is also, well, I'm not going to say nice. I'm going to say vaguely annoying to realise just how little of the cool stuff in Torg came up during the terrible, terrible con game of Torg I played. Hmm. I, I don't have a funny conclusion to it other than it's the only time I've ever had a game finish massively early and been glad. I mean, you didn't even get to like play a, a cyber geriatric from the cyber papacy or anything no. interesting like that. This Wow, that's that's sad. I mean, I, I had a, a a geriatric cyber papacy dude called John Luke Picard, and this was before the episode where he got turned into Lacutus of Borg, I'm fairly confident. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I just picked it because the guy the pit guy in the pitch was bald and <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it was a big brain move on my part, but yeah. <laughs> no, this 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 was a I think day sort of day zero of when everything changed, and it was the Nile Empire, whatever the hell that one okay. was. Yeah, that's generally the that's generally the starter setting, or at least it was in the original one. Yeah, yeah. but um, yes, yes. When the, when when the GM completely ignores the fact that some of the players have never played the game, and they just rattles through the game at high speed, you really don't pick up anything. Yeah, no, that's a that's a that's a lookout. Yeah, but talk does sound like a hell of a lot of fun, even if you do occasionally explode entire areas. The thing is, it's it's far more likely that you'd ex- you'll explode yourself. I mean, hopefully there are some some the the GM will mercifully give you some clues that the um, the big pillar of uh, extra dimensional energy that you're trying to topple over has had some of some lasting effect on the world and you especially if you're um i think the cards in question will probably give it away to say that you're um you're giving folks possibility points if it doesn't that's a shitty move west end games if you still existed you should be ashamed of yourselves <laughs> they, they don't still exist do they i'm pretty confident they don't <laughs> i was assuming so we also heard from john on the subject of nanobots and he's a big old downer, but, you know, actual science. <laughs> Stupid science. John writes that the only downside of nanomachines is that they're horribly temperature sensitive. Too hot and they break up, too cold and they freeze solid. They most certainly depend on an outside source of power, otherwise you're making mechanical cellular life. Oh, and they're probably controlled from an external source as well, and they operate at the atomic level, i.e. incredibly slowly. 10 grams of iron has 10 to the power of 23 atoms in it. That's 10 followed by 23 zeros. And your nanobot is placing them one at a time, overcoming the normal resistance of atoms from joining together somehow. It takes a lot of heat or pressure to force atoms together. People think nanobots are some sort of supercomputer. Nope, they're the claw machine in the arcade, and the atoms you're trying to grab are the stuffed toys behind the plastic window. They are basically the a wizard did it of the... SF setting, or as John points out, James Nichols, a Hugo-nominated fan writer, calls it fairy dust. Hmm. Yes. And, yeah, I, uh, I assume... Well, either the, the fix for that is you literally have gazillions of nanomachines all doing their one tiny job stupidly at a time, which is which is, solves some of that issue, or you're just fucking patient because you're dealing with an issue that you need to do one atom at a time. That's, that's an option. But... I'd also assume that to make them even make it possible to build them or make them do anything really exciting, you have to have them cheat atomic bonds at some level, which could literally cause them into uh, turned into uh, weapons of mass destruction. 
pun intended? Yes, pun very much intended. Because, gotcha. Yeah, that uh, if you're going to disassemble things at that level, it, uh, there's not going to be a lot of stuff left. Something to do with reducing some of your consistency of baby poop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, not a, no, it's not a good look to it. So, they're still cool, and claw machines are cool too. So, yeah, we should... It, it's still still worth investigating but yes the whole fast cheap and good triad still remains <laughs> indeed yes I mean, uh, that what was the context of the nanobots thing was that uh, that was my that was my idea of recycling you know entire landfills and so forth to pull junk out of them oh soul dust yeah 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 that was it yeah but yes, the the soul dust was literally the magic version. That was the that was the the, the terrifying, mass massively distributed, self sustaining computer mind with physics defying capabilities, which was the which was the issue, which was why it was the um, terrible hot potato MacGuffin that you needed to deal with. Nanotech as uh, designed by a scriptwriter. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> indeed, cool. indeed. Thank you for, for harshing our vibe there, John. Indeed, indeed. You were a total buzzkill. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that was all good. We, we occasionally need to be brought down to earth by, you know, the surly grip of Newton's bitch. What, I don't know. I'm, I'm stopping now. Uh, that's, a good, that's a good place to stop. I mean, possibly slightly earlier than that would have been good, but and, yeah, that, no, that's, that's, that's as good as we're going to get. Point. Then. You have a point. All right, and that... Brings us to the end of what we can laughably call content for this show, mm-hmm. uh, which I guess means that we now get to announce what the topic for the next enthralling edge of your seat episode of the Big Red Couch will be. Indeed. Uh, do you want to take this one, or shall I? I'll happily do so because since I am I am repping for the the, the location in question, splitter. <laughs> And oh, look, the, at the current the, point, I cannot actually get to the location in question. <laughs> yes, it's all, and, and, and also you've got a book to be locked up in a room for at least two weeks and have your, your brain stabbed occasionally. So uh, a step up on um, what's currently going on. <laughs> yeah, uh, beats the rubber glove. Yeah, it's true. So selected by our grand collective consciousness of the audience, and it's many thronging, th- thronging, um, throngs, throngs. <laughs> um, we have selected for Big Red Couch 149, the lost continent of Zealandia. So yeah, we're getting our own submarine mega continent for the next episode. So we're going to have to do something with that. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, at the very least, maybe to lower house prices. It's not really land that's the problem. It's that every goddamned business is only in Auckland. And only in, like, one bit of Auckland. Yeah. Which means that every other service industry will think about it and, you know, it needs to travel across a bunch of motorways erected in the 1960s and one progressively failing Harper Bridge. I mean, you've heard about that. That's the whole thing. The whole thing where a truck fell over on it <laughs> yeah it's like oh. we, we should we, we could cover that ground next time since it's going to be super topical so so <laughs> topical and and it's nice to tease these things yeah yeah, yeah they're, they're they're 
I think like an awful lot of places in the world, but uh, perhaps a little bit concentrated given the relative scarcity of actual cities in, in New Zealand. Uh, there is the whole thing of, you know, why don't people want to move out of the big cities and into smaller communities? Because <laughs> money is a thing. Because we don't live in a Star Trek post-scarcity environment and people like to eat and buy stuff. Um, yes, and also the... Um... <laughs> they're exactly the same reasons they moved out in the first goddamn place and those basically haven't changed. Yes, this is not rocket surgery, people. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. So. The Lost Continent of Zealandia will be emerging on a podcast near you in the future. Mm-hmm. Which then brings us to episode 150. And, well, because of, because of this, if nothing else, that we were, we were tired of seeing the same uh, suggestions come up and be uh, neglected... We've had a bit of a purge. I'm desperately trying to think of a joke here, and it's just not coming. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, we've had, we've had a bit of a cleanse. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually worse. I'm, I was <laughs> um, it's all it's all beetroot juice and um, I don't know rubber tubing. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! Speaking of which, we have we have an entirely fresh selection of possible ideas. They've come up over the last couple of weeks just from our conversations about why are these ideas so bad or also why do we have all these bad ideas. So, this round, you may select from the following dreadful options. Provided by Alex, Leroy's Missing Hedge Veg. Provided by Ben, Despicable Fusion Cuisine. Provided by a random band suggestion by YouTube, Drab Majesty. And provided by a loyal array of spammers, VIP Zealot. So, enjoy. The others may make a uh, return if we have another Deadpool round. But um, you have so many options. Go out, click your democratic selections known. And know as you vote that your percentage contribution to the result is almost certainly higher than in any other election happening this year. Yes, yes, indeed. Rock that vote. Yes, one vote can actually make the difference here. Be reassured, despite the the, um, lying media suggestions, the Lost Continent of Zelandia will stand down and respect the results of these elections and there will be a peaceful transition without legal shenanigans or random militia insurgency so that's a plus i have nothing to add we, we try and shed a little bit of uh, sunshine wherever we um we go so it is our joy our gift and our burden it is it is so all of you brave space hobos applying your um, your skills and your comradely assistance among the stars we bid you farewell and best of luck And we'll see you next time when you make landfall on the lost continent of Zealandia. It's around here somewhere. I'll look behind the couch. Want to hear more of our shenanigans? Then go to hoarde.net and click on the button that looks like a couch. The Big Red Couch is released under Attribution, Non-Commercial, Sharealike, 3.0 Unported from creativecommons.org. All music on the show comes from the album Universal Fluff Theory by Krakatoa. Visit them at krakatoa.com or follow the link from our page. See you next time.